Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Sunday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rides podcast. Hope everyone had a great Christmas out there. Uh, I know I sure did. was uh, fortunate to spend it with the family and uh, got to see, got to go back home and see a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a long time. It was a uh, great couple of days, and I hope all of you out there had a uh, safe and happy holiday season as well. And uh, hope you're still uh, carrying on the party through the New Year's. No one likes to work this uh, this last week leading up into the New Year. But if you are, we got some podcasts to pass the time. So today we're going to talk to uh, former Andy Kennedy staffer, Bracken Ray, do a little hoops check-in. This one was supposed to go out pre-Christmas, but uh, Greg had a busy day at the store and I wanted to get the bold picks, which is what we're getting to after Bracken. So I talked to Bracken after Ole Miss's loss to Samford and kind of get a lay of the land. What's wrong with this team? So we keep going over, over and over again, but uh, kind of the same issues there, but also a uh, kind of look around the SEC because Ole Miss does start SEC play on Wednesday uh, against Florida. So an outlook of what this team has ahead of it, because uh, their first eight conference games are kind of a murderer's row. So a little hoops check-in and then our post-Christmas bowl picks with Skybox and LB's Greg, we were off to a uh, rapid start. Uh, I'm in last place at nine and six uh, in the pre-Christmas bowl game. Skybox made you some free money uh, starting off 10 and five. You need to check those guys out. You know what? I should just do the ad read the right way. People seem to like it. Podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Need to check these guys out. As I just mentioned, 10 and 5 pre-Christmas bowl games gave you a free Christmas and then some at least three weeks in a row profiting in the NFL. It may be longer than that. I'll have to go back and look. And then up like 24, 25 units over the last two and a half weeks in college basketball. They're literally just printing money for you. I don't know what you're doing, not using these guys. Pick, they'll have a picks package to fit your price range. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, and you'll get 20% off a picks package. Go daily, monthly. I'd recommend riding with them all year long as uh, the results during this holiday season have spoken for themselves. I hope some of you use this for uh, some free Christmas shopping as well. But check them out. Let them know we sent you. And then check out the daily free plays. If you go to skyboxsportspicks.com slash free plays, they're giving you a daily college basketball free play, and it is uh, cashing more often than not. So check them out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Ride subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage, plus a newsletter for me three to five times a week. I would say the former is probably better than the latter. So check them out. Go find your own favorites. Greg's going to tell you what he's got going on at the store heading into the new year. You people uh, delayed the podcast. The people delayed the podcast because Greg was so busy heading into uh, – on December 23rd, heading into Christmas Eve. So uh, it's a great problem to have. So uh, put a little post-Christmas pod here because of uh, how many people went into LBs on uh, Wednesday. So, or Thursday, that should be. Jeez, my days are running together. Anyway, uh, check them out. LBs, University Avenue, across from Kroger. All right, here is Bracken Ray, and then we'll get to Greg and Skybox's picks. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer Bracken Ray. Second time in a week, but I knew this one was more the the plan when Ole Miss is done with non-conference play. Uh, they have eight days off or at least eight days removed from their last game before SEC play arrives. And uh, the second season, I guess, is here. Is that how you guys looked at it? Yeah, essentially so. I mean, you've always like kind of got a Big 12 or AAC game kind of thrown in there. But, yeah, you've got your non-con and then conference play and, 
as you said, you know, normally these players get to go home for three to four days. I think I heard that this group's getting back around Sunday. Um, but, and then, you know, normally a week between the last game and the first game back. So it's interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's always, you want to make sure that the guys, when they go home, you know, are staying in shape and that kind of stuff um, as much as possible. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it comes right at you. You end non-conference play and then, you know, celebrate Christmas a little bit and then boom, SEC plays right there. And this, we talked about the the Christmas time last week where it's not these eight days off. It's actually been the last week, week and a half leading up to it around these two, three games they played where they haven't had class. They got done with finals. So for the last week or so, it's been all basketball and, you know, a couple games mixed in. And Ole Miss loses 75-73 to a not very good Samford team, or at least doesn't appear to be very good to this point, uh, on Tuesday afternoon. I didn't get to watch this game. We can get that in a second. I was at the office for most of the day. I was following along loosely. But what's it like during this time where you're not in class, you're playing, uh, like you're practicing and playing games? Like that's the time you always hear coaches talk about, like, you know, the team kind of figured it out and got better. What's that like when you're not actually seeing the results on the court? Because I remember you definitely had one year where it was like that, where you're maybe feel like you're figuring out in practice a little bit, but then you go lose the game and it's like, how the hell did we do that? I mean, honestly, at times it can be pretty depressing <laughs> going into the holidays. Um, the 17-18 year um, was a year there's a lot of hype and it was, you know, there, there's a lot of eyes on the program at that time with the whole co- uh, contract not getting rolled over. But we knew we had four or five pretty good guards. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't know what we were, but we had some confidence at least in that. And you go into non-conference play and come out seven and five with, you know, three home overtime losses. So it it can be pretty demoralizing. I think going into the break, you've got to treat it as, you know, kind of a mental reset and you got to kind of put it behind you. Um, You know, as we know right now, Ole Miss is in, I think like 134 in the net. I mean, they've got a lot of work to do, but at this point in time, you know, going into conference play, you've got to take it one game at a time. You can't look, you know, too far ahead. You can't get down on yourself for what happened in the past. So using this Christmas break is kind of a mental reset. And then, you know, when they get back on Sunday, really getting back after it again. What happened on Tuesday? I'm deferring to you. I was working the old day job not really getting to watch much of it. And honestly, like, had they won, I'd have probably gone back and watched some of it. But the way that sounded, I was like, I, I'm just not going to – I'm going to lot my time better here. Like, this is bordering on insanity. So, I didn't come back and watch it. What happened? Yeah, so I'll kind of preface this by saying, and you and I talked about this last week, but also talked about this just in the past in general. Um, you know, Bucky McMillan, who was a high school coach two years ago, he is a – he is a wizard on, on the basketball court from a coaching standpoint. And, you know, he did some things. I, I don't know that the common fan would notice this, but he was disguising um, like he would start in a zone and go to the man and vice versa defensively, which is something that is really, really hard to do. Uh, but he, he, he coached a really good game. And I'm of the opinion that he's probably two or three years away from being a P5 head coach. Um, him being younger and being in the high school ranks for a little while, you know, the question will always be he's got to get to the tournament and he's got to be able to put a staff together. But they're 10 and 2 right now. Um, and they were picked middle of the pack in the SOCON. And 
after watching them play and Quez uh, Glover specifically, you know, I think they'll finish higher than that. Um, at Samford, you know, Samford's a pretty good school academically. And so he's been able to find a way to play the transfer game, which they haven't done just a ton at Samford. And the majority of his lineup is, is transfers. So, um, you know, those are just some positives kind of talking about Samford. Um, you know, not not a good loss for Ole Miss, especially um, after getting popped by Western Kentucky, too, in non-conference play. But for Ole Miss, you know, what really happened is kind of that first part of the second half, Sanford went on a run, and Ole Miss chipped away and got, you know, got back at it, had a shot there at the end to tie it up. Ruffin, I think if he could do it all over again, uh, probably would have taken the shot himself rather than passing it to Brakefield. But when you look at Ole Miss, I mean, the story is kind of the same as what we've talked about for the past few weeks and really even bleeding into last year as well. Shot at terrible, um, you know, from the three, not a very good field goal percentage. And if you're Ole Miss and offensively things, you know, aren't clicking, you can't get out-rebounded by mid-major teams. Um, and that's something, again, against Samford, you know, they got out-rebounded by two. Um, and on the ten offensive class, rebounds to add on to that. T- ten offensive rebounds, yep. And, um, you know, it's been the story so far. Middle out-rebounded them. Western Kentucky out-rebounded them. Sanford out-rebounded them. And when you recruit length and have a lot of forwards on your team, that's not something that you expect, right? right. That's one of the areas that you feel like you're going to check the box in. Um, but that was something that was really tough for Ole Miss against Sanford and I think it throws in that point that we talked about a few days ago. That's that's probably an area where you're missing Robert Allen uh, as as well. That was my next question. How much of that do you think is Robert Allen? And some of that's fair, but again, at the same time, when you recu- recruit the way you do in the front court, losing one guy can't like that can't equate right. to you getting out rebounded by Middle and Sanford, you know, multiple yep. mid major teams. So I, I'm kind of adding some color to that. How much of that do you think is Robert Allen and? How fair is that? Because I do think it hurts a little bit, but at the same time, I, you figured they'd have something else prepared. But I guess the other side of that, what? how much of that yeah. do you think is Robert Allen? How much do you think is Sammy Hunter not being trusted enough to play longer than 10 minutes or so a night? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the, the frustrating thing is what you were saying. If you're going to go long and uh, recruit the way you do, out-rebounding people has to be your identity. And it can't even be, hey, you know, we're kind of 50-50 on out-rebounded people or not. You can't, you definitely can't lose it like they are, or they're going to start, you know, they're going to lose a lot of games. So, yeah, Robert Allen for sure. Sammy Hunter, the thing that we've talked about a lot is he's got to be able to go win some 50-50 balls, go get on the glass. He likes playing on perimeter a lot and shooting threes, and that does not need to be his game. And I think that's one thing that really frustrates Kermit is – Hey, he's capable in some areas. Um, and when he came in, you know, he had, he's got a good body on him, but he's not doing the things that they need him to do to win. And that's why I think his minutes are pretty low. It seems like that he's sort of figured out a rotation. And really, other than 10 minutes of Sammy Hunter, I mean, it's in terms of the front court and as we are kind of getting on the rebounding aspect of it, it seems like it's a ton of Brooks and Brakefield which is fine when you can do that, but I imagine there will be games when they have, uh, you know, when they're in foul trouble a little bit, but it seems like he's got 
five guys, really six guys, he plays pretty heavily because I think he started Morrell in that game, but mm-hmm. Ruffin ended up playing 10 more minutes than Morrell did. And then yep. it's kind of piece it in with Ty Fagan and Sammy Hunter as you can. I mean, Austin Crowley played four minutes four. in this game. It seems like this is kind of his rotation, and Crowley, at least at a certain to a certain degree, is kind of the guy that you ha- you go to, I guess, if you have to and get in a weird spot. Maybe that changes, but do you see this rotation and who he plays on a given night crystallizing a little more? Yeah, I think one thing that we saw so um, on when, when I guess that was what Tuesday night when we played Sanford, Ruffin wasn't on a minutes restriction where the game before that he was. And so I think you, if, if you see Ruffin's minutes go up, Austin Crowley's is, is going to go down significantly. It makes me a little nervous that the bench is getting shrunk as much as, as it is this early in the season. Um, but, you know, some positives there too. I mean, Ruffin, not super efficient. I mean, shot, you know, 33% from the field, but Gives you 17, five assists and three steals. He had pretty good quick hands at times defensively, um, you know, that helped them out. And so he's given you, even in a loss, he's given you something that we haven't seen um, yet from this team this year. It's just a little sloppy and he's not quite where he needs to be yet. Reverting back to the game itself for a second. Again, this will get a hell of a lot easier when these all these games are at night and, like, you and I are able to sit down and, like, watch, you know, each conference game and kind of get thoughts off of that. Some of these day games and some of these weirder time weekend games have made it hard in December for the non-conference schedule. But it seemed like Ole Miss was up 42 to 36 at halftime. And then Sanford, mm-hmm. what, they opened the half on, like, a 12 or 14-0 run that lasted three or four minutes. And Ole Miss never really recovered from that punch that Sanford threw coming out in the second half. And one thing I've noticed with this team, I noticed it a little bit with the uh, with the Marquette aspect of it. And then there was one other game in there that I miss, maybe misremembering. But when another team goes on a run, Ole Miss doesn't really have like it, – it's really a guard. I guess you could do through the front court. But they don't have a guy that goes and gets a bucket on the other end to stop it. I mean, Ole Miss like during Bree and Tyree days, to use an yeah. example – a team, if they went on like an 8-0 run, that wouldn't turn into 14 because eventually Brian would go create something or make a contested three-pointer to where it kind of keeps you afloat and stops the bleeding a little bit. It seems like Ole Miss doesn't have that, and you're seeing more and more 8-0 spurts turn into 14-0 runs that last, you know, four-minute chunks of a game, which is – I mean, that's an entire media timeout. That's not insignificant. That can drastically alter a game. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, I think part of that is personnel – Although now having Ruffin back, like maybe he's that guy, but also like they play too deep in the shot clock at times for me. And I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, like at times you just need to go run a quick hitter with the best player on the court, whether you think that's Ruffin, whether you think that's Joiner, and go get a bucket, right? Instead of like the continuation weave getting down in the shot clock, now you've wasted all this time long rebounds, which can lead to transition buckets on the other end. They, they need to go run some quick hitters to stop the bleeding, so to speak. What do you think that, like, what do you think the reason is behind that? I know you hit on it a little bit, but do you just think that he, like, I guess they're offensively challenged enough where he doesn't trust them to do so, or do you think they're trying and just can't do it? I mean, I think as the season evolves, you'll see them do that with Ruffin more because you did that year – I guess that was two years ago, Brian's year. They did run some quick hitter stuff um, with 
uh, Brian. Um, right now, like their scoring is a lot more balanced than it was um, with with two years ago with Brian. And so, you know, maybe they think they can run through all sorts of different op- uh, options in the continuation, but that hasn't worked so far. You know, twelve games into the season, so they're I think they're going to have to adjust as they go into conference play and let somebody kind of take over offensively. Um, you know, to stop the bleeding when those runs do happen. Did the last possession of the game tell you anything about what they might do in late game situations going forward? Because it's really the first situation we've seen them be in. You saw a little bit of it against Marquette, but that game slipped away from them enough to where they were kind of chasing in the last 90 seconds as opposed to it being a kind of draw it up execution or where you're going to go to get a basket and trading blows. Ole Miss needed a basket there. They didn't get it. You mentioned had they gone back and you know gone back rough and probably would have shot that. Did that tell you anything about what they might do going forward in the game's you know waning minutes, last two minutes stuff? Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of what I think they are going to do going forward. Um, it's exactly what I thought would happen because they they let Ruffin, you know, they had the ball in Ruffin's hands, and what happened is you know people are going to have to start digging on him because of how electrifying he is. I mean, he has you know seventeen points in one of his first games back. So obviously he made the wrong decision of throwing it to Brakefield, but something positive there and going back to stopping the bleeding a little bit is if you can run some stuff like that uh, for Ruffin, not just, hey, you know, to tie or win the game, but just throughout the course of the game when you need a bucket, um, I think people are going to kind of dig and play off of him and it's going to leave somebody open. Obviously in this situation it was the wrong decision from a timing standpoint, um, but I do think that you'll, you'll start to see some stuff in the half court that looks like that going forward. In your opinion, how would you use Ruffin and Joiner together? And in, in, like we talked about the off the ball, on the ball stuff, but just is there stuff do you think they can do together to make them more effective? And I'm talking about like action and concepts, not just where they're playing positionally. Yeah, I mean, I don't see a ton of like, you know, um, I don't see a ton of like guard to guard, like ball screen type situations from like how this has happened in the past. Um, But I I just think more than anything, they've got to get both of them on the floor and get them meshing together because both of these guys can score in the mid teens on any night and even more than that at times too. And so for Joyner, where he's really stepped up this year is spot up shooting is a lot better than it was last year. And so if he can get any sort of open looks that are not, you know, super contested, um, I think that's going to open his game up a lot. And for Ruffin, his ability to create is what's going to open, what's going to lead to those open looks as well that they haven't had the past couple weeks. So Jarkel, like we talked about last week, has had to do a lot of this on his own, which has led to him you know, dribbling a lot, and he's not great at beating people off the dribble. So allowing Jarkel to play in this game where he can spot up a little bit more, even though that wasn't his game last year, um, I think could open the offense up a little bit. As we look at this non-conference thing as a whole, so they finished 8-4. and four. He had a loss to a Marquette team that I think made it through the non-conference slate with three losses all to ranked teams. Uh, that would, what It was UCLA, Wisconsin, and St. Bonaventure. I don't know if St. Bonaventure is still ranked after losing at Virginia Tech last week, but at the time they were ranked. They start, they've start. they started 0-2 in Big 12 play, or excuse me, Big East play. Big 12 would be weird. Like, So I don't know what to make of them yet, but they're not – I mean, they haven't had a loss on their schedule where you look like, what the hell happened here? So then, mm-hmm. you know, the other one, 
you have is Boise State. I still don't know what to make of that. And then, of course, Western Kentucky and this Sanford loss are not great. How – this is a bad question, but, like, how far behind the eight ball, if the trajectory of this team was get an NCAA tournament bid, get an at-large bid, how much, if any way you can kind of encapsulate it, did this non-conference put them behind that goal? I think it put them pretty significantly behind the goal. I mean, I think they'd have to go 10 and 8, 11 and 7 in conference play. And at 10 and 8, you probably have to go into, um, you know, the SEC tournament and win some. Um, you know, I, this team right now has, there hasn't been many points during the year at all. I mean, even Memphis, like we kind of knew, like Memphis is all over the place where they've looked like a tournament team. And that's the tough part, right? You go into some, non-conference years and you have you know a bad loss here and there and maybe you're in the 70s or 80s in the net but you've had times where there's been games where you've looked like a tournament team right and we just haven't seen that a whole lot uh this year you know although it was a win um one of the the toughest games was that mississippi valley state game where you're down at half right that team is like in the 300s and in the net. Right. So um, like that, you know, that's another example of it. There just hasn't been a whole lot of games where they've, they've shown it at all. Um, you know, rough and coming back is going to change the dynamic and makeup of this team. Um, but they've got a lot, a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do to get to the NIT at this point, I would think as well. Yeah. I'm glad you went to that part of it because it's, it almost feels silly to frame it as we sit here and they're heading into conference play, like what does this team have to do to get the NCAA tournament? Like, like you mentioned, they haven't looked like an NCAA tournament team for a, like really a single minute that they played so far this season. So it feels silly to say that, but again, the baseline expectation I thought going into this year was for them to get back to the tournament. And so I always just, I guess I'm still looking at it from that standpoint, despite the fact, as you mentioned, it, it, it feels kind of dumb to even kind of say that because again, they don't look like a tournament team. They don't even really look like an NIT team. What do you, uh, so, but like looking at it, I, the worst one is obviously the last one. Is it not? Because I mean, at least Western Kentucky has a win over Louisville. I mean, they, you know, they started the year zero and three, but that was Minnesota, South Carolina and Memphis. Like the, the, this last one was probably their worst loss out of the four, don't you think? That's without knowing a ton about Boise. Yeah, um, I mean, I still, although, you know, although they beat Louisville, um, just the way they lost to Western Kentucky pretty was brutal. the one that, that yeah, that, that was pretty brutal. I mean, losing by whatever it was, 27. Um, with Samford, you know, not a great net team, but, like, they're a team that could be a sleeper team to go win the SOCON, you know, at the end of the day. And you lose, you know, at the very, you know, by two, um, obviously not a great loss. But the Western one was where I was like, hey, this thing is taking a different path than kind of what we thought it was. So that's the one that in my mind, I, I told you this, you know, when it happened, that probably is one of the two or three worst losses in the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, just from how it looked. Um, and it was on a neutral site, like it wasn't at Western. Um, you know, they may be like a top three or four team in the conference USA, but they're not as good as they were last year. They had a pro on their team last year. So that's the one that kind of, um, I think hurts the most. As we get into conference play, you guys as a staff, you, I think you answered this without me asking it earlier when you were talking about 
uh, kind of what you like, what the mindset is at this point in the year. And you brought up specifically that 17, 18 year. I'm glad you went there. Cause that was exactly the year I was referencing. That was AK's last year where, you know, you thought you had a pretty good team. You mentioned four or five pretty good players, particularly in the backcourt and the pressure was on. I mean, there, there's a, I mean, Neil covered this very well, but there's a, you know, you could spend all day talking about what happened to the program before that with the non-contract extension, but that's not really the point. The pressure was on and they had three really close right. home losses in non-conference play. I remember actually talking to you throughout that year and like, that shit was really just seemed excruciating. I mean, it, it, it was partially because of the administration, but really just kind of the way the year played out in general was just kind of a painfully frustrating year. Did you guys, when you're at this point, because you guys were behind the eight ball that year in non-conference play too, or I know the players can't do this, but as a staff in the back of your mind, are you looking at it the way you framed it earlier when I asked the question about what they would need to do to get back in any sort of like NCAA tournament conversation? Like, do you look at it as, shit, we got to go 10 and eight or 11 and seven now? Like, is that is that a mindset at all? Or is it just see how many games we can win these first three, four, and just see what happens after that? What are you thinking as a staff during this time? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, and I'll give you kind of a parallel to from the schedule standpoint to end game as well. When you're on staff and you're up 12 or you're down 12, your mindset is never really different, right? Because it's always, hey, we could F this thing up being up 12, or hey, we've still got a chance, we're a few buckets away, right? And so as a staffer, Look, they're being 134 in the net, you know, eight and four with a not super hard non-conference strength of schedule. They're behind the eight ball, right? But as a staff, your mentality, you're never really uh, maybe in the back of your head a little bit, um, but you're never really, you know, like, hey, it's over, right? So you've got to take it one at a time. A lot of people, yeah, you're running some numbers and stuff like that, um, trying to see what it would take. And I mean, every year you're trying to see, hey, you know, if we won this game and then won the one after and then, hey, all right, let's say we're playing Kentucky, we lose this one, where does this put us at, right? So coaches are very analytical and they're looking at things like that all the time. But from a, you know, discouragement standpoint, they're eight and four, you know, going into Christmas. They're trying to find a way, just like being down 12 right now, hey, how, we, how can we chip away and get back, you know, if they can get back into the 70s, or 80s at some point, hey, all right, now we've got a chance. Now, with that being said, the first eight games or so of conference play is is brutal. Um, it's going to be really hard for this group. But from a mindset standpoint, if you get yourself to a place that says, hey, this thing's over, then it's probably going to be over. You also worked years where that wasn't like that, correct? Because we've had three or four years now where the SEC, particularly the top half, has been pretty good. But I remember a couple of years when I was in school, and for you know, except for my freshman year, you were up there and you were working. Where if they didn't make, you know, if they didn't run the tables, probably a little strong. But depending on their non-conference strength of schedule, some of those AK years, if they didn't roll through that thing at like ten or eleven and one. Like the, the league was actually so bad that it was like, I don't yep. know what exactly they can do. So it hasn't always been this way. Which would you prefer? I guess you'd prefer the league to be better. That might be a dumb question. Yeah. Um, Levovitz, who's like over men's basketball for the SEC, he has challenged teams to, or excuse me, schools to do two things. Increase head coaching salaries so they can go get some really good you know guys and schedule non-conference harder. 
And they've done both of those things for probably more than half a decade now. And you can this see this started I mean, like seven years ago. It bottomed out. I don't remember which year that was, but I know what you're talking about where they're like this. We got to do better with this. Right. Yeah. Cause there was a year, maybe 15, 16, that there were only three teams that went uh, to the tournament. And so, you know, at, at that point in time, they had to make some changes. They bought, brought Lebovitz in and he's done a phenomenal job with this, but, yeah, to your point, I mean, um, you know, you'd rather have the harder non-conference strength of schedule and the conference play because, for an example, a few years ago, Vandy got into the tournament at like 16 and 14. Right. And so if you're scheduling harder, I think there's another piece of it too, and we probably can talk about this some with, you know, some of the SEC teams at some point, but in non-conference – you have got to um, schedule opportunities to kind of get hit in the mouth at at least some point in the game and schedule some adversity. Because if you cupcake through it the whole way, you're giving kind of a false narrative of what your team is and probably some false confidence as well going into conference play. So it's really important to schedule some of those hard games to see what your team looks like when adversity hits. Um, because that's really when you get to know your team, you know, fr- from a long-term standpoint, what it's going to look like come March. The, the part where you're talking about the conference being tougher, they, I mean, that's the classic. I can't tell you how many years you looked up. I'm just using a random example. But when the Big East has been, you know, pretty strong, where St. John's is still on firmly on the bubble, you know, in early March, and they're like 17 and 14 or something like that, is because, like, well, we yeah. look at who they played. It's crazy. So I think, like – I feel like you get more of the benefit of the doubt, particularly when your league's stronger, just from how it's viewed. I know it's mostly numbers based, but I just think you would get the benefit of the doubt on some of the intangible stuff as well. But it's a great point. I hadn't necessarily thought about it the last way you framed it, where it's like you need to get hit in the mouth because if you roll this th- this thing thirteen and zero, and then you get—I mean, this year would be the perfect example for Ole Miss if they had rolled in eleven and zero and played absolutely no one, even though this wasn't the strongest at, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. This first couple games, as you alluded to, is, is rough. So I'll just go through – I'll just take you through January because I think that's yeah. a good way to look at it. I mean, they're going to play Florida next Wednesday at home. Then they go to Tennessee, stayed at home, at Texas A&M, that team, Buzz Williams. I mean, they got to win over Notre Dame. They're playing pretty well. Home Auburn, home Missouri is really the first breather. And yeah. we can get to this when we get to the league in a second. That may be one of the disappointing surprises so far. But – then you go at state and home Arkansas. I mean, you go in there and if you made me like, I guess, gun to my head, the only game I'm telling them, telling you they probably win is the January 18th home against Missouri. I'm not necessarily saying they'll go one and seven or however many games that is, but who buddy, that's brutal. You get both state games out of the way. I don't know what to make of them road trip to uh, A&M road trip to Knoxville. And then your home games. I mean, that includes, Florida and Arkansas. I mean, I just went through it. I did it a second time, but my God, that's, that's a rough stretch out of the gate. And, you know, if you don't find a win somewhere, I don't know. I mean, Saturday, next two Saturdays from now, January 8th against state. I mean, you could be staring 0 and 5 in the face. Could you not? Yeah. I mean, no doubt, no doubt. Um, And, you know, a lot of these, um, I don't think it's Ken Palm, but I think Warren Nolan has them starting one and 10 in conference play. It's not great. So yeah, they, they, they gotta go, uh, they gotta go get a few of these to get this thing back on track. Um, for sure. Now, you know, I mean, looking at it optimistically and, you know, I'm a real, I'm, I try to be a realist and I, 
I don't see a ton of wins in there, but optimistically, if you go get a few of these, these are all teams that are in the net, you know, top 100 or so. So you could add some good quadrant wins in there that at least gives you some hope going into February. And to Kermit's credit, when he's had bad teams, which the last two, I would say, I mean, bad may be a strong word for last year, but we've had teams that haven't been great. They haven't totally bottomed out in conference play. I mean, he's, my God, he's made a killing off beating Bruce Pearl, but they've had a couple kind of, I don't know, last standish wins. Uh, there was one in there last season. It may have come against Auburn. Like, you know, if they kind of could get teams down in the mud and win a, and win kind of a slugfest uh, type of game. There was that year, Brian's last year, they won a home game against Florida after they got off to a horrible start in non-conference play, or excuse me, mm-hmm. to be start conference play. And that really kind of helped them right the ship. I mean, that year, that was the year where they started so bad. And if that second half against Rupp in early February at Kentucky had gone slightly differently, they'd held on to that lead. You're talking about them actually making the tournament after starting like two and six or one and six or something. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems like they, they I guess he kind of has the, the dog fight, like punch back. I don't know, kind of thing back in, if that makes any sense at all. Like, it seems like they get a team better than them in there on a given night. Like, they can win a 61-59 type game because of how well they defend. And I think defense probably gives you a little bit more of a chance, you know, in these yep. tougher games than if you were trying to outscore someone. Yeah, defense travels and, you know, a lot, you know, so far, a lot of not great things for this group, but they've defended pretty well, um, both in half court and transition this year. So they got to put together defense and rebounding defensively as well when they travel on the road trying to knock off some of these, um, you know, solid SEC opponents. One of these first four games, too, can kind of – I mean, the way you start in conference play can really alter the trajectory of where your season's going. I keep going back to that 17-18 year, but you guys had those tough losses. And then was that the second or third game of conference play where you're at A&M, Brian has that shot go all the way around – and if that thing goes down, I mean, that team ended up bottoming out for a number of different reasons. Seemed like they tuned AK out a little bit. Things had really right. just started to crumble. But what you guys started, uh, what was that? Oh, and two. No, I have the wrong year up. I think that was maybe I don't have the wrong year up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But if that thing, go, if you, if that shot against AM goes down, I mean, it's a whole, whole different deal. Um, what you guys started, oh, and four. I don't remember what 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 was that year. I think so. I think we you, you won at South Carolina at home, lost to Georgia on the road, beat State at home, lost to Auburn, Florida beat, at home. That's a good memory. After that, Florida, Florida, yeah, at home, yep. Yeah, so that was the one where if you had beat A and M, you kind of have some hope again. Um, cause in the next game, um, you barely lost Arkansas on the road. I remember that one pretty well. Um, yeah, it, th- that was the big deal. That shot going rimming in and out. That was tough. It was on our side of the bench as well, but that was the one where, Hey, if you, if you make it, you've at least got a chance. But then after that happened, I mean, we went like one in 10 in the next 11 or something like that. You know, you kind of lose the locker room all that stuff because you can't see the hope, right? So that's why it's it's important for this team to get a few of these early so they can still see a path at all. Because if not, it can be really, really tough, um, you know, keeping that locker room together. 
you encapsulated it best as I just tried to fumble through finding the right year on Ole Miss's website. If you got to see the hope, and when you start behind the eight ball, you got to kind of start. You got to start fast to kind of keep, at least keep the goal in front of you because, as you mentioned, after that A and M game, I imagine the goal was pretty much evaporated at that point because it's like, okay, we this is this is just not realistically feasible. And I think that's a good that's probably a good indicator or kind of along the same lines of that Kermit year. Uh, two years ago where it ended up getting killed by COVID anyway, but they were so far behind the eight ball. They started playing better. I guess that was what late January they went on, like they won three in a row against Florida and state. And then that Kentucky game, if that goes differently, then you're really starting to see the hope and you're having a much different conversation that didn't end the same way. And what do you know? They limped to the finish line. I think they only won one or two games after that. So, yeah. you know, fascinating couple of weeks for this team. Uh, and fascinating a couple of weeks for a content perspective in terms of uh, how closely it's worth following this team as well. Let's look around the SEC before we get out of here. Seems like the top half of the league is strong as ever. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking in mean, LSU, Auburn, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida, probably all pretty – you feel pretty good about them being tournament teams, and you haven't even gotten to the Texas A&Ms and states in the world. Take this whichever way you want to go. What surprised you about the SEC and non-conference play so far? Yeah, I mean, you got 10 teams in the top 100 of the net so far in SEC play. Um, You know, LSU lost a guy to an injury before the season started. I think he was a transfer from Illinois. And I was kind of wondering, hey, what's that team going to look like? Are they bubbly? Are they going to be on the right side of the bubble? But they're 12-0, and they have a transfer. um, Eason from Cincinnati, who's having a SEC player of the year type season so far. Um, they, They haven't. Their non-con, kind of like Ole Miss, hasn't been overly difficult. Um, so they've got a, they're playing Auburn here in a couple of days, and that'll be a really good matchup in Auburn. But LSU looks good, probably a little better than I thought they would um, with all the pieces they missed last year. Um, Tennessee, so far, uh, Ole Miss fans you know, will remember the name Kennedy Chandler. You know, that was a big recruit for us for a while. He's one of the best freshmen in the country so far, averaging about 14 or 15 a game. Uh, they guard really well. And then Viscovi, Fulkerson, and Justin, uh, Justin Powell are all guys that, you know, can go get buckets um, when Kennedy Chandler's off. Um, they beat Arizona last night, I think. A really good win. Fulkerson had a really good game. Um, Auburn, another good Auburn team. They're 10 in the net. Jabari Smith's a guy who probably could be the first guy taken in the draft this year. And Bruce has done some good stuff, um, getting some transfers like Walker Kessler uh, from North Carolina and Katie Johnson uh, from Georgia as well. Um, those are probably so far maybe the top three teams. Yeah, from a net standpoint, all three of those teams are the top ten of the net in the SEC. What do you make of uh, Buzz's team at Texas A uh, and M? Because I don't know what Notre Dame is, but they were competitive. You know, last week against. I can't remember who they were playing last Saturday. I watched a decent piece of that game at my apartment. Um, but what do you make of them? They're ten, nine or ten and two. I can't remember which one, but they don't have a bad loss in there. And I don't know. I mean, Buzz seems like he could get six walk-ons and still somehow win six <laughs> SEC games. Yeah, Buzz is his tenure there has been um, really interesting to me because you know he's a really good coach and I like the staff that he's made up too. And he's a Texas guy. So I was expecting them to be kind of in the top half of the league at this point, you know, in his tenure there. But like you said, you know, they're 66 in the net. I'll also have a win over Butler. Um, 
my thing with them is they're not super talented and I don't think they have the personnel to be a tournament team. I think they're going to be a team that's going to muddy the waters up in the SEC a little bit this year and, you know, go beat some people that they shouldn't kind of kind of be a nuance uh, or a nuisance, so to speak. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see, they feel like an NIT host to me at this point. I just don't know that they're talented enough to be a tournament team. Who do you think will win this thing? Do you think it's Kentucky? Um, win the league this year? Yeah. Um, I, I really like Tennessee right now. Um, they've got, yeah, I, I really like, um, they've got a nice combination of their, you know, first five and a little bit of depth as well. They guard well, and you can kind of tell, you know, Rick Barnes is, um, you can kind of you can kind of read his body language just off of watching him on the TV, and I think he really likes this group. Um, so I think I think Tennessee's got a chance to win it this year. Kentucky, um, they are obviously a lot better than they were last year. Um, the Oscar from West Virginia is averaging sixteen and fifteen right now. He had twenty eight rebounds against Western Kentucky last night. He single handedly out rebounded Western Kentucky last night. Hmm. Um, yeah, so they're good. I think they're going to take a little time to gel. Um, they haven't put it all together yet. Um, but he's got, you know, from some five stars and also some transfers too. What do you make of Alabama? This is actually a team I've watched. I I swear. I think I've watched four full Alabama games so far this year. And I got an interesting taste of, uh, of them in the sense that, so I watched all of the Houston game, which was a great college basketball game. That was like, two or three Saturdays ago. And then the next Tuesday night when they went to FedEx and gave Penny the biggest win of his tenure at Memphis. I hate to be like that. This sounds so basic. I hate to be this guy, but it they're impressive because it seems like they're incredibly athletic, but when they're not making threes and particularly perimeter jump shots, it's not that they don't have anything else offensively. It seems like it affects everything else they do. The way they defended in that Houston game versus some stuff that happened, particularly in the second half of the Memphis game, was kind of disconcerting to us. Like they, they don't look like they're playing with any close to the same effort and energy. And I thought the common thread in that was them making shots on the other end. Maybe I'm off base with that, but what do you make of them? Because they look freakishly scary at times, but then you have other yeah. stretches where it's like, actually, I don't know if this team's actually that good. What do you make of Alabama? Yeah. So really interesting here. Um, to, to start it off, I don't love their bigs this year. Um, I don't think their bigs are overly talented. Um, but one thing that Nate does is, you know, they didn't start off great non-conference last year either and ended up having a phenomenal season. He uses this um, consulting company kind of like Lane does for analytics uh, called HD Intelligence. And they have they have two sides of it. So one is performing analytics where everybody's seen, you know, Nate loves the threes and then shooting, you know, within four or five feet around the bucket. That's what, that's his analytic game. That's how he plays it. But the second piece of it too is um, this company also helps him schedule. And so consistently um, they have scheduled super, super hard. And Nate's doing that kind of like I was talking about earlier. He wants that adversity early in the season. He wants to see what the strength and weaknesses of his team are. Um, and so this company um, that he consults from actually was started by an Alabama ops guy that worked for Avery and Anthony Grant, um, and he helped them schedule. And so 
Bama is seventh in the country in non-conference strength of schedule right now. And so I think that like going into they're 24 in the net people preseason probably had them, you know, around 10. I don't think uh, I still am am super impressed with this group. Um, I just think that, you know, non-conference wise, they're trying to, they're always trying to figure themselves out. But a point that you did make that I think is intriguing with, their forwards not being super, super talented and them being kind of uh, reliant on the three ball is, hey, could you go lose to some, you know, 13 seed in the tournament if you're having an off shooting night because you rely on it so much? This is a complete non sequitur, but it was weird. I left that uh, game they won at home being a little more pr- impressed with Houston. They were uh, they were pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, that game was so close and obviously there's a lot of drama after that game, but Samson's done such a good job with that program. And the, the scary part about Houston is he's recruiting at a national level there yep. now where three or four years ago, you know, it was kind of a, a hodgepodge getting that group together. So, you know, he could turn that thing into a powerhouse and they, they, they want to keep him there. I think his son's head coach in waiting, so he has full autonomy to do whatever he wants to um, there. So that's a program that could be pretty scary going forward. He plays the game. That is uh, for sure. What do you make of this Cal team at Kentucky? Yeah, um, so obviously this Oscar Cat, um, 16 and 15, you know, Cal has figured out, hey, I used to do the one and done thing. Now I've got to hit the portal hard. He's got Kellen Grady from Davidson who's shooting almost 50% from the three-point line this year, which is crazy. And then Sabir Wheeler um, is, you know, he was from Georgia, a transfer from Georgia, averaging almost eight assists a game. Cal's trying to figure out what he is in their offense right now. He can be a little sloppy and inefficient at times. So looking at Kentucky, um, obviously they've got a lot of talented players, but I think that they've got to get Sabir Wheeler kind of gelled within that offense and be less sloppy and more efficient um, from a scoring standpoint to take them to the next level. What did <laughs> hey, we almost uh, almost wanted to introduce a uh, bashing Memphis segment for each one. The, we, the latest chapter of the Penny Hardaway uh, Rick Barnes thing unfolded last week. So they go yeah. out and play that game. The my uh, my favorite content is not COVID corner, but they had to cancel the game because of a bunch of co- positive tests among Memphis, where it seems like Penny lied about uh, having his team vaccinated. I didn't read much into this because, again, not not a huge fan of the COVID content. But apparently he said earlier in the year that like 90 percent of his team was vaccinated. And then that apparently just turned out not to be true at all. Rick Barnes is not very happy. He even started throwing out budget numbers, which I always think is hilarious because he, he has a point and it's true and it's a lot of money and it's kind of a nice flex, but like, that's just kind of part of it. Like what goes into playing pretty much any of these games. It's not like they were traveling to California either. So like, I think that was somewhat, not somewhat, I think it was directly intentional. What do you make of this beef? Do you think the series is continuing? How did you, how did you see how that playing out? I think it's hilarious. Well, I think just like, uh, now, it, Kermit and Penny um, are on the same page about the Ole Miss-Memphis series, but a lot of past Memphis coaches have not been a huge fan of the Ole Miss series. And I think Rick Barnes is kind of like that with Memphis because it's always drama and, you know, it's always a lot of tension and escalated. And, you know, Rick Barnes just wants to stay away from all that. Um, I think Penny has bugged him a little bit in the past, both 
in games and probably some recruiting situations. I'll just keep it at that too. Um, but Kennedy you know, Chandler I was among that, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, they ended up getting, yeah, they ended up Tennessee ended up getting Kennedy Chandler. Um, right. And, you know, but, but Penny plays this game with the media where it's like, you know, and a lot of coaches do this, but sometimes it's like, Hey, um, if a kid's not coming to my school, I don't want him type deal. And so you never really know who Penny does or doesn't want until they sign. Um, but I, I do think you make a good point um, without kind of going into the COVID piece. I think one thing that is interesting is all of these conference commissioners, I think at this point in time, need to get on the same page with the protocols on what counts as a postponement, a cancellation and all that going forward. I just think there needs to be some consistency there. Um, so players, teams, fans, everybody know um, what's expected going forward as we go into conference play, because there has been a lot of, you know, um, changes here in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, there has. I think they're going to finally get on it. And shockingly, the most popular sport on uh, in North America, the NFL, was spearheading it uh, in terms of just kind of letting guys come back and changing up the protocols. But I just find that Penny, the Penny Rick Barnes thing hilarious because it's also like it's also reflective of the two medias. Like, I think Penny could probably like punt an infant and there would be a commercial appeal column about how like the infant shouldn't have been standing there type of thing and so like oh. it just gets people in a tizzy and i find it funny because it's also the big brother little brother but anyway not uh not really the point i think that we just about covered everything the last thing point i had for you was as i was going through some sec numbers today uh there's six sec teams that rank in the top i think it's 28 of in terms of points per game and scoring and a lot of scoring mm-hmm. efficiency numbers that's that to me does not bode well for an Ole Miss team, no matter how well they defend that really struggles to score. That is that an alarming number to you yeah. at all? It, it is. And one point that we've made the past couple of weeks um, that I was able to kind of confirm is there are like five or six teams in the SEC play that are categorized as excellent in transition um, for, for like some of these analytics companies that you look at. So excellent would be, you know, top 15 to 20% in the country. And that makes me a little nervous because we talked about kind of the track meet that Ole Miss has wanted to play a little bit more this year. I don't think they've fully invested in it, but there are a lot of teams that can really get out and go and transition this year. Um, There are also some teams that, you know, like Florida is not great offensively this year, but one team that never is really good in half court offense is Mississippi state this year. Um, Howland, you know, obviously he's been to final fours and all that stuff, but his, his stuff in the half court offensively has never impressed me at all. And it's very repetitive and quite frankly, it can be pretty easy to guard, but they're really good in the half court this year. Um, So Mississippi state's an interesting and intriguing team to me this year, because they're really talented in their starting five. They don't have a lot of depth, but Howland Howland kind of seems from a locker room standpoint to have trouble putting it all together. So I think they're going to be one that's going to be really interesting to see um, once SEC play starts. His half-court stuff, again, you mentioned the Final Fours, but at this point, that's 14 years ago, which is a different world and age as far as yeah. basketball just in general is concerned. And you mentioned the half-court stuff. It makes really, it makes his really talented teams look just like – it's kind of mystifying, particularly, I think, to the casual fan. And I, I find that part of it fascinating because he has all this talent and then they look so – 
kind of bogged down and disjointed at times offensively. Yeah. It's like these guys, well, I think it's partially just the common fan thinking, oh, he's got a lot of talent. That means he's got a lot of scoring, which it's not always look that way. Well, it, so they used to run this set when we played against them called uh, Twirl, and he would run it like 10 or 15 times a game. And literally, he would say twirl and then the number of the player that the ball is going to. And what they do is they'd run like this baseline elevator screen to the corner. And so he'd say twirl 11. And we're like, guys, Hugh Weatherspoon is getting the ball in the right corner, going to take a three. It was it was so easy to scout. Um, and it, 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 his Ben Howland is very interesting to me, like his tenure there at state has been so interesting to me because it's been up and down and. He's gotten some really good players, but, you know, like most of them are like former players' sons. So, like, has he recruited really well? It's been it's been a really interesting thing to judge. Um, but he's got a talented team this year, not super deep. Um, it, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what they look like in conference play. Tom Crean is aggressively awful. Yeah, you know, they lost um, – they lost Katie Johnson and Severe Wheeler. Um, and the day that that happened, I mean, this thing is, it's over, right? They have a mid-major roster. Their net is terrible. Um, they're one of these teams that for the league, it, it, you know, if you're the Sankey of the world, you just hope they don't beat anybody because that's going to be a really bad loss on somebody's resume if they do. Yeah, that's uh, that's brutal. I think that's everything we had, dude. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll do another check in probably here in about a couple of weeks. That uh, at January eighth game against State, that looks like a nice place. We'll get this uh, football stuff out of the way. But I appreciate the time, man. It's gonna be an interesting year in the SEC, and uh, we'll chat again soon. And uh, I'll see you down in New Orleans for sure. Absolutely. Have a great Christmas. And that was Bracken Ray. Appreciate his time. We'll check in with him probably here in a couple of weeks. I think after that January 8th game where Ole Miss plays state at home, I think that's their third or fourth conference game. And that'll be a good time to uh, either write this team's obituary or I guess kind of declare they still have life. It's, it's an important couple of weeks for this basketball team. I think who has not shown for a second that they look like they're anything but a, uh, a bad basketball team. So anyway, we'll check back in within a couple of weeks before we get to Greg and Skybox's picks. Want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Manscaped. That's right, Manscaped, the industry leader in men's grooming. You need to join the over two million men that trust Manscaped precision tools for your jewels. Check out the Lawnmower 4.0 model. Nice LED light on that thing. Portable charger. Heard the seventies were a wild time. Manscaped is here to make sure that it's a thing of the past. You need to be all groomed and kempt down there. They're here to make me time in the bathroom, your favorite time in the bathroom. Use the promo code MPW and you get 20% off. All right, here is Greg and Skybox's post-Christmas bowl picks. We've had some cancellations literally while we were recording. So uh, if you hear us talking about the Fenway Bowl or the Armed Forces Bowl that's canceled, just enjoy the uh, the mind-numbing fodder, I would say. Anyway, here's Greg and Skybox. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones for our post-Christmas edition of Bowl Picks. We're not going to get into the NFL as we were recording early on a Sunday morning after Christmas, and uh, we got enough football to uh, handle our palate uh, with just these post-Christmas bowl games. We'll hit back up the NFL uh, next week as we inch closer to the playoffs, but you were fresh off Christmas. You got a tea time to get to later today. I took advantage of the weather um, on this warm weather and played on Christmas Eve. You've got the post-Christmas round locked up. What's, uh, how are you, man? Oh, I actually played golf yesterday. Don't worry. <laughs> On Christmas Day, that's uh, that's dedication. I love that. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, we uh, came out and played Lake Caroline, and they were closed. And you know, it was just open for people that had golf carts or walkers. And 
I'm pretty sure there was more people out here yesterday than there was on whenever they're open. So, yeah, took advantage of that. We've done that before on Thanksgiving at uh, Annandale out in Madison. We've done the whole uh, kind of get lunch out of the way, go play before the football games that night, I think a year or two. Uh, it's kind of nice. Like you mentioned, it's not open technically, so it's just like walkers only. But uh, it's a great way to kill some time uh, if you have the warm weather and you're kind of waiting around on stuff. So uh, I always enjoy the old, uh, the old holiday round if you can get it in. It was perfect on New Year's Eve. Excuse me, Christmas Eve. Uh, really couldn't beat it. It was like 70 degrees, a little bit of wind. Uh, I guess I was someone I was playing with is like, we should make this a tradition. I was like, well, yeah, I hope the weather cooperates that tradition because it's more so about being able to get out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you just got to hope that the weather's 75 and uh, overcast on a, on, a, on a random Christmas Eve in uh, Madison. So, uh, yeah, I, I would think that'd be an awesome tradition, but, you know, I don't think you could lock it up every year. I'll tell you what else was burning hot is our bowl picks. We are absolutely slaying it. We uh, So we did the pre-Christmas show last week. I guess that was last Friday, last Saturday. So we had, what, 15 bowl games since, and we've got quite a few more to get to. I am – so I went nine and six. Pretty proud of that. Lost uh, – so we, we let up – we stopped it, I think. Yeah, the Christmas Day game, which was Georgia State, which we all cashed in on that. You jumped out to a nine and three early lead. Then you had the two and one. So you're 11 and four and Skybox, if I'm not mistaken, I need to confirm what they had on Christmas day, but they are either 10 and five or 11 and four. And I believe they are 11 and four. So you and Skybox are just absolutely kicking my tail, but what's a guy going to do? I went nine and six and I'm bringing up the rear. Hey, I mean, you know, uh, cash and chi- uh, cash and tickets is all uh, is all that matters. So yeah, I mean, as long as you're in the green, it's always good, and the red is not so good. So let's uh, stay in that green. Ah, uh, here's to that. Actually, excuse me, you are in the solo lead. Skybox had North Texas. We were all on that. So actually, we uh, they're ten and five. So you're eleven and four. They're ten and five in second, and I am uh, nine and six. So uh, the nerds are sandwiched in the middle of uh, the two all-knowing sports jocks here. So uh, hopefully we can uh, beat out Skybox this year. I don't love our odds. You should check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Murdering it on college basketball. Um, absolutely crushing it on the NFL as well. Really no one hotter in the last three weeks in the NFL as well. They're just kind of printing money over there. Speaking of uh, printing money, we were going to record this on Wednesday, no, Thursday, whatever it was, December 23rd, and uh, you had quite the busy day at the store. How was that? Oh man, it was crazy. Uh, I think we end up almost doing about almost 150 uh, on um, on Christmas uh, on the on the Wednesday, and then wait, man, my days are so confused. I I, I don't. Well, I thought yesterday four- was Friday until I woke up this morning and saw the full NFL slate. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with it. The days just kind of munch together, and uh, you know, with the weather being like it is, you don't even know it's January. So, uh, I mean, December or January. See, so. we're all screwed up here. <laughs> yeah, we're all screwed up, but. Yeah, uh, it was a good uh, it was a good day, and uh, you know took care of all the people that called in the orders, and uh, had some uh, had some leftovers, and literally uh, Friday people were just coming in and was like, please, can I get anything other than Kroger? So uh, that's always a good feeling to, uh, to have when people are just hoping to get anything from LBs so they don't have to go to Kroger. So yeah, it was we put good, that on it a shirt. Good- <laughs> anything but Kroger <laughs> yes I love that remember we waged a war on Kroger about a year ago and I'm still I'm still looking into some Rippy Rights merchandise but maybe some uh, partnership little dual shirt action with uh LB's anything but Kroger I think that has potential 
Yeah, I think a nice little LB's logo on the on the uh, you know the the cigarette pocket style shirt. You know, have the LB's logo and on the back anything uh, anything but Kroger. Uh, I would our my end goal with that would be if we both got a cease and desist from Kroger, that would be awesome. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always good to trigger people that you know that don't like you. That's right. Just knifing the competitors uh, every step of the way. Before we get to these post-Christmas picks and try to stay ahead of Skybox here or keep pace with Skybox, in my case, um, what uh, what's kind of going on in the store leading up into New Year's? Saw some great uh, grilling finished product pictures over the last week or so that I got tagged in from people stopping at LBs. What's uh, what's kind of big on the menu for New Year's? Well, I mean, we were, we've were we been closed Saturday and Sunday, so a two-day two vacation is always uh, nice to press the refresh button. So we'll be uh, after it on Monday, uh, stocking it back up, ready to go. And uh, I think what we'll do is uh, New Year's Eve, we'll just do 10 to 2 like I did on Christmas Eve and be closed New Year's Day to go enjoy some football and, uh, you know, press the refresh button after the New Year's Day and, uh, you know, just get after it in 2022. Absolutely. Can't beat it. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from that other store. Anything but Kroger is the new motto on the show now. Let's uh, let's get into these post-Christmas games. And uh, before you go uh, put the old, uh, ball in the air out at Lake Caroline on the golf course, let's see. So we had one of these get canceled. We'll get to that in a second with the A&M Wake Forest deal. Let's start with Monday. We got a Monday day game. Western Michigan is a seven-point favorite over Nevada. Nevada, no Jay Norvell. He took the Colorado State job quarterback is out for Nevada I forget that kid's name but he was actually pretty good and a pretty entertaining watch with that said I don't know enough about Western Michigan but the Mac is not very good in these bowl games and so I'm just going to take Nevada I don't think Western Michigan should be a touchdown favorite over anyone so I'm going to roll with Nevada here yeah I have to agree uh we did uh the butcher versus spin instructor and we did a bunch of bowl games and um, I couldn't figure out if it's Nevada or Nevada, so I'm going to go with either Nevada or Nevada. So give me give me that action. I think I think I go back and forth. I think I just said Nevada like three times, but I think don't the locals tell you it's Nevada? I, I feel yeah. like the people that live out there do not call it that. So that's actually right on brand for me just to butcher it. Um, <laughs> so that that would actually make sense. Skybox is on. They are on Nevada as well. They got it at two and a half. I'm guessing that's before the quarterback went out, but I don't think their pick would have changed. So Skybox, we'll give him seven there. Skybox is on it minus seven. He's plus seven, excuse me. He sent me these way before, like right when the bowls came out. So I'm guessing that has changed a bit. Let's see. So we're all on Nevada there, uh, even if we can't say it correctly. Uh, the other, other afternoon game we have there is Boston College and East Carolina. It is Boston College minus three in the military bowl. What's your lean here? Uh, I mean, I kind of like Boston College here. I mean, I think, uh, you know, East Carolina's had a good year, and I know they were disastrous a, a year to two years ago and uh, double-digit favor, uh, underdogs, you know, every game. But uh, I, I just like Boston College here. I am going to go the other way to start off this one. Uh, Boston College didn't watch much of them, but I know they went, they finished the year like two and four or two and five. So I'm just going to go with my gut here. I like the Pirates. I like the logo. I like the color. So I'm going to go with East Carolina plus three. Skybox is with you. Skybox is on Boston College. So that'll be a chance for me to uh, gain some ground there or uh, fall further behind. Those are the only two games we have on Monday. Then we start kind of getting into about four or five straight days of having football all day starting here on the 28th. That would be Tuesday for depending on when those of you out there are listening. We start off with a 
11 o'clock game, Auburn versus Houston. Auburn is a three-point favorite over the Houston Cougars. Um, I'm just going to make this one easy. I don't know Houston's status. I know Dana Holgerson's the coach. I looked it up earlier. I don't think they have a ton of COVID issues. So I'm going to take Houston to win this game outright because I can't imagine Auburn wants to be in the Birmingham Bowl. And two, I don't trust anything on Auburn's roster given the opt-outs and the injuries. Yeah, that's very simple. Let's just go with Houston there. I, I just, yeah, I think Auburn's kind of in a little shambles. So uh, we're going to go, we're going to roll with the Houston Coug here. I'm literally looking at four go- four golfers with all wearing shorts uh, in the middle of the fairway right now. How about that? <laughs> Day after Christmas. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Skybox went with Houston as well. So we are all on the Cougars there. Uh, yeah, just bad vibes with Auburn, which that means probably there's going to be a ton of public money ended up coming being on. Uh, Houston, and then Auburn's going to somehow pull that out. But we forge onward. Air Force, plus one and a half in the first responders bowl against Louisville. Um, I have no lean on this whatsoever, but uh, I don't think I can go against the troops in something called the first responder bowl. So I'm just going to take Air Force, plus one and a half. Yeah, I, I agree. They're just straight up Air Force. And, they're, you know, anything with a military bowl or anything like that, you got to go with the military uh, group. Skybox is on Air Force as well. I'm sure they use the exact same logic we did and not anything to do with math or their uh, algorithms. We're, ooh, light nightcap, Liberty Bowl nightcap. How about that? I didn't actually know this was that early. I thought this was a day later. Never mind. Uh, actually, we have another game after this. That's the Holiday Bowl. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Mississippi State is minus nine and a half uh, against Texas Tech in the Liberty Bowl. Um, I just think this would be hilarious. So Leach has a seven-figure beef with Texas Tech. You know, they, he still hasn't paid them that money. It's one of his former players and I think former assistant, Sonny Cumbie, who just got the head coaching job at La Tech. But he's coaching out this bowl game. I don't know. This feels like too many points. State does too much dumb stuff offensively. But I think State wins this game. This is probably a stupid pick by me, but I'm going to go with the Red Raiders. I just think it would be funny to have a grouchy Mike Leach press conference after he lost to the school that jobbed him, which I'm totally on Leach's side in terms of the money. I just think cranky Mike Leach is funnier. Yeah, I have to agree. I don't think I've taken Mississippi State all year, so I'm not going to start now. And uh, with that being said, like you said, too many points. Let's just roll with the points. I had to, I had, I couldn't figure State out all year. For as much as I mastered finally getting on Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings and went not to, I was on the wrong side of state all year. So I, I haven't figured that one out. So I'll probably keep up with the trend there. Skybox is on. They're on Mississippi State. So they're on Mississippi State minus the nine and a half. They got it at nine just for all of you uh, professionals out there wanting to follow their picks. So they are on the Bulldogs. We faded them on that one. The nightcap, the holiday ball starting at 7 p.m. Central time. A good matchup. I don't know who's playing and who's not on these teams, but a nice little color scheme here. UCLA is plus two against NC State. Yeah, I, I like UCLA here just on the travel rules situation. You know, crawl, traveling cross country. Um, you know, um, I, I just I'm going to go with the travel rule here. So uh, I like that US uh, UCLA uh, the Bruins. I like that. Where is the Holiday Bowl? Um, it is in San Diego. Okay. Oh, so you're um, saying uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I got you. I thought you were, uh, I thought you were, I, I had it backwards. I thought you were used travel ruling UCLA. And I was like, dude, I think that's just an hour drive down uh, Pacific coast highway. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they have to go very far. That makes sense. I'll go with you on this. I'll go UCLA. I don't know a ton about NC state. Um, just that they were relatively unimpressive toward the end of the year. Although they did beat North Carolina. Actually, I need to make up some ground. I'm going to go to the ACC school here. I'm going NC state. So hey, I'll go with understandable. the there. 
Uh, Skybox went UCLA. They got it at one and a half. So UCLA plus one and a half. That has since gone to two. So Skybox is with the Bruins as well. Starting off the 29th, I think. Yeah, there we go. We're down to the 29th. 11 a.m. game. No, excuse me. This is still the 28th. Did you know we have another bowl game? The guaranteed rate bowl starts at 915. Did you know this at night? Wow, this this isn't uh, this isn't like super West Coast, huh? No, it's Minnesota. I don't even know where the guaranteed rate bowl is. I would assume this would have to be somewhere on the West Coast. I'll get uh, our IT department on that as we make our picks. It is Minnesota, West Virginia. I jumped the shark. We have one more bowl game on the 28th. Minnesota minus five against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with the Golden Gophers here. Uh, let's go with Minnesota. I was just consistently underwhelmed every time I watched West Virginia play this year, which was not often. I would say it's about parts of like four or five different games. So uh, I, yeah, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Minnesota here, minus five. I just, I don't know. I don't know a ton about Minnesota. They just seem better and a little bit more consistent than West Virginia was. Skybox is on West Virginia plus five. So they are fading us there. The guarantee rate bowl appears to be in Phoenix. Oh, okay. so that, that's so, West Coast uh, enough, right? Yeah, Diamondback Stadium, probably. Yeah, that would actually make sense. I'm going to make sure I have this correct. Uh, yeah, Chase Field, great call there, Greg. Um, all right, so they're fading us on that one. Now we're getting into the 29th. I jumped the shark there a bit. The Fenway Bowl, I always like the way this one looks. I like the Pinstripe Bowl, too, if they're still doing that. Oh, it's actually afterward. We got the Pinstripe Bowl and the uh, Fenway Bowl back-to-back here to start off the uh, – Wednesday, the 29th. First one, SMU plus two and a half against Virginia in Fenway. Uh, no Sonny Dykes. I don't think he's coaching the bowl game. I'm actually positive. I don't know what their opt-out situation is, but uh, I think SMU's had a better year. Isn't Bronco Mendenhall, isn't he fired? I, I think he's yeah, coaching uh, this bowl game, but he's fired. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, I think so. I think so. so right. I don't think that's going to be one of those send him off into the sunset deals because it's not like he was there a decade. So I actually like SMU plus two and a half here. Yeah, I'm just going to have to agree with you. I like, you know, SMU's um, had a better season. And, uh, you know, I know they've, you know, lose, lost their coach. But, you know, uh, the players still play the game. So, uh, the coach doesn't coach the game, play the game. So, I like I like the SMU situation here. All right. Now, then, after that, we get the pinstripe bowl in Fen- – excuse me, in Yankee Stadium. For all you dorks that say there are too many bowl games, I don't understand how you can complain. You're not going to be doing anything better anyway. Surely you're not working. And you've got back-to-back games in Fenway and Yankee Stadium. With all of that said, I'm about to double-cross myself because this is the most nondescript bowl matchup of all time. Virginia Tech in Maryland. I believe it is Maryland minus three and a half against Virginia Tech. Uh, do you have a lean here? I would just say enjoy this game that it's in Yankee Stadium and just the fact that it's on because uh, I, I don't know anything about this matchup, to be completely honest. I'm going to go mascot angle. I would, I like turtles more than, than Hokies. So I, I'm a turtle guy. So, and plus I have uh, horses in Maryland. So hopefully that angle helps me out in this game. I'm going to ride your coattails there. What is a Hokie? I think it's a turkey, isn't it? Or a bird or something like that. Cause their mascot looks like a tur- an overgrown turkey. Yeah. Good call. I think a turtle would wreck a turkey. Oh, actually, I don't know. I'd like to see what kind we talking like sea tortoise or one of those stupid ones you flip over that gets near your golf ball. I'm still going to go turkey. Uh, I'm, excuse me. I'm still going to go tortoise over the turkey because uh, I just kind of like them better. Like you, I guess they wouldn't have to win in a fight. Uh, I don't know. My modeling system is my modeling system. So we will go with Maryland there minus three and a half. 
Skybox is on Maryland as well. So they uh, they are Team Turtle as well. I'm sure they all sat around in a room together before they sent these picks out and was like absolutely Turtle over Turkey every time. So we are Maryland across the board here. The mid-afternoon game, uh, 445, this is the Cheez-It Bowl, the infamous Cheez-It Bowl that was made famous from a couple years ago. I believe that was Cal and TCU like nine turnovers in the game. One of the most funny, awful football games of all time. This one actually has a chance to be kind of the memorable game of the day for a different reason. I could see this being a fantastic game just from the matchup standpoint. We've got Clemson and Iowa State. It is Clemson minus one and a half. Yeah, who would have thought that Clemson would be playing or Clemson fans would be thinking that they would be playing in the Cheez-It Bowl, you know, two years later after winning the national championship. So uh, with that being said, yeah, it should be a good game. I really wish that uh, we could try to get a, the Wrigley Bowl in, in this, you know, to where you have the Fenway, you know, the Yankee Stadium Bowl and then the Wrigley Bowl. I think that would be a really good, good little, you know, bowl since we're all, you know, doing millions and millions of bowl games now. But with that angle um, – yeah, I, I like I like how you uh, how how you think on that. I'm gonna go Clemson. I think the Clemson's played defense has played good all year, and the offense seemed to finally catch up in the last couple of games. The Ungulele, I still can't say that guy's name. Looks like his finger got a little bit healthier and was throwing it a bit better. This one just feels like a trap, but I'm gonna take the bait here. I'm gonna take Clemson minus one and a half. All right, well I'll go Iowa State then on this one. All right, you're fading Skybox as well. They are on the Clemson Tigers. Not a huge huge. Uh, Huge lean on that. But I think that could be a fantastic matchup. I'm actually looking forward to watching that one. The whole Dabo Sweeney deal is going to be interesting. He's very anti-transfer portal NIL, which you can't really be openly anti that and still try to recruit players at a high level. And he's having to replace all of his staff. I'm curious to see if he can keep this thing going. I don't think it's a hot take to say that that, uh, that, uh, that whole dynasty deal is on shaky ground right now. So I'm fascinated to see how that turns out over the next couple months i don't think the result of the cheese at bowl will carry much weight into that but uh fascinating nonetheless oh oh awesome alamo bowl here oklahoma and oregon you know if they play this game a year from now this will be uh lane kiffin versus jeff levy because kiffin is uh, headed to eugene yeah for sure uh you know i i think it'd be uh, a really good matchup just oregon's kind of you know um uh, just kind of pumped the brakes ever since i mean they just but kind of been a disaster with the coaching situation. Did did Crystal Ball literally take that job at halftime of the Pac-10 championship game? I don't know how that worked, but uh, it, it definitely didn't work in Manny Diaz's favor with the manner <laughs> in which he took that. Um, I'll go ahead and jump out in front on this one. I don't love either of these teams, but Oregon, each time I saw them play full games about that, I mean two games against Utah and one more I think was the loss to Stanford. They just look like a not very good football team that's not physical. Um, I'm going to go all over Oklahoma here. Bob Stoops coming back to coach the bowl game. I'll, uh, I'll take my chances with that. I did not. I don't. I didn't love anything I saw from Oregon. Yeah, I like. I like Oklahoma here. I, I uh, on the butcher versus spin instructor. I I did the duck angle because I like the duck. But with that being said, uh, I need to re recalibrate and uh, make sure uh, I, I bet with my uh, with my brain and not my uh, mascot uh, angle. So I think Oklahoma rolls in this game. Does uh, LB's do turducken? Yeah, I can get you some turducken. Really? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> get John Madden up in the store. Um, Skybox is on Oregon. So, Skybox fade is there. I don't know what they're seeing there. You should probably trust the professionals, but uh, that's an interesting one. So, we're on Oklahoma, Skybox on Oregon. North Carolina, South Carolina in the May Duke's Mayo Bowl. I actually have a Duke's Mayo Bowl t-shirt. This uh, armchair podcast or sports drink now that I do with a couple buddies uh, for fun once a week. 
Uh, we somehow copped our way into Duke's Mayo Bowl shirts. I'm not really sure um, how we did that, but it's a bright yellow shirt. Kind of cool looking. North Carolina minus nine and a half against South Carolina. Um, I have no other logic here other than I watched North Carolina play quite a bit. They were consistently disappointing. South Carolina is definitely more excited to be here. And I don't think North Carolina is good enough to be favored by nine and a half points over anyone. So I'm going with the Gamecocks here. I kind of love that. Yeah, I actually like the, the Gamecocks here too. I mean, you know, it's a feel-good story with uh, with Beamer. And, uh, you know, he's uh, turned around that program in, you know, one year. And I think he did. he's done a really good job. And, um, you know, you'll see uh, – I, I say I, I think they might win this game uh, outright. I'm with you there. Skybox is not. Skybox got North Carolina at minus eight. Whenever there's a discrepancy in their favor and they fade us, I'll just make sure to get the clarification. They got the line at eight. Um, I still that wouldn't have changed my pick. I think I still would have gone South Carolina. So that's an interesting one. Music City Bowl that afternoon. Uh, Purdue, Tennessee. Tennessee is minus five. Uh, I'm just going to go with the more high-powered offense and the better speed here. I think Tennessee had a great year. There's going to be a ton of all fans in Nashville. There's some 2013 Birmingham Bull vibes for uh, Ole Miss Birmingham Bull vibes to this Tennessee deal if they can just get around whatever this NCAA uh, cloud is looming. Uh, I'm all over the uh, Tennessee Vols here over Purdue minus five. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a good game. I mean, honestly, I mean, Purdue's pretty deep. I mean, you know, sneaky good. Uh, you know, they beat the number two out of Iowa, you know, so – uh, that's uh, that's a really, really. Th- uh, I still think that's the best tweet of 2021. You know, the we just beat the number two out of Iowa. You know, so um, with that being said, I, I'm going to go with Purdue here. I'm going to see if I can't um, uh, turn the tables on on Tennessee here. Skybox is on Tennessee. They got it at three. Um, I think they're pretty safe there. Well, yeah, obviously it went to five. So they're uh, Skybox got Tennessee minus three. Then we have the most underwhelming Chick Fil A bowl of all time. No, Michigan State. Versus Pitt, Kenny Pickett opted out. Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back, opted out. And it's Michigan State minus two. I feel like I'm just going to go the opposite of logic here. Kenny Pickett out, sitting there thinking, eh, probably Michigan State's game to win. Quarterback more important than one running back. But um, I'm actually – I saw Michigan State's pass defense this year against good teams, and it was not good. And Pittsburgh's a good team, so I'm actually going to go with uh, Pitt here just to kind of go against the grain. I think they win this game outright. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just is, it's it's a bummer, you know, for uh, for uh, you know for this game because you know I'm not saying that you know Pickett and the running back would be a big big deal, you know, to make this game a little bit more glamorous, but it would just nice to be uh, for kids to finish out you know their uh, college careers with their teammates uh, in a you know a high profile bowl game. But with that being said, I have to agree. I, I did watch that Michigan Michigan State and just Michigan. Just uh, that pass defense was just horrendous. So, with that being said, I, I think I'm going to go with Pittsburgh with you. I like it. I'm going to give Skybox a scratch here because they went with Pitt minus four, and I'm I'm almost positive that was before Pickett opted out of the game. So, I'll get a pick from them after that just so we have it for the uh, final standings. We'll probably do one of these for the playoffs, uh, excuse me, for the national title game. But uh, I'm going to give them a pass there because I think that was uh, – believe that was pre – Kenny Pickett, because that line doesn't make any sense now. Uh, with Las Vegas Bowl, there we go. Las Vegas, Nevada Bowl, we should say. Wisconsin, minus five and a half against Arizona State. Um, I don't really know much about Arizona State. I know they have an NCAA investigation going on. The whole Herm Edwards seem, seems to be kind of crumbling a little bit. Uh, I like Wisconsin to run over them physically. I'm going to go with the Badgers. Yeah, I like Wisconsin here, too. I mean, I do like uh, Arizona's like colors and jerseys You know that they kind of got going on, but uh, just Wisconsin is just too good on the ground game. I just think they'll just 
uh, impose their will and just uh, play that Big Ten uh, football on them. Scott, I don't see – we'll pass again on Rutgers. Well, you and I can pick Rutgers' wake here in a second. Do you have a lean there? You know, this was the game A&M had to back out of. People getting worried about COVID. I do think that's a worry to uh, some of these bowl games, but I think if Texas A&M was dying to play this bowl game, I think they would have found a way. I think the fact that they were going to play a walk-on quarterback and uh, had a shorthanded guys at practice probably played into it. Wake plus 14 – excuse me, Wake minus 14 and a half against a five and seven Rutgers team who thought their season was over all of a sudden gets the call to go play. I'm going to ride the momentum here. I don't know anything about Rutgers, but I'm going to say that they uh, come in ready to play and they cover 14 and a half. Yeah, I, I think so. You might, I mean, Wake Forest has had a really good year. And uh, with that being said, I mean, I, you know, I, with the Texas A&M situation, having a walk on, I mean, that that's what legends are made of, you know, like didn't play all year, play in the bowl game and, you know, leads the team to the victory. But, well, with that being said, that did not happen. But, yeah, I like the 14 and a half. I think it's too many points. Uh, let's see. Sun Bowl. Love this one. Always in El Paso. I think this is the one This is the one in El Paso, right? Always a cool little backdrop. The Sun Bowl. Miami and uh, Washington State. So, two teams that <laughs> – is this a worse travel situation for either team? Think about this. You had a team from the bottom tip of Florida and the team from the northernmost point in the country having to go to El Paso, Texas. That's uh, yeah. I'm gonna say meet, that, meet, that, meet in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm gonna say that's not gonna be a hugely populated game. This game's a pick 'em, and I'm gonna go with Washington State. They lost their head coach over a vaccine situation. Nick Rolovich gets fired because he wasn't vaxxed. I think they had a state law or whatever that went into effect. But Washington State actually played decently down the stretch, and Miami just for the simple way they handled Manny Diaz in this hiring. I just think they have bad karma. So I'm gonna go with Washington State here, purely off principle. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, I, I like that uh, coach at Washington State, Rolovich. Uh, he came from Hawaii. I really, you know, I just thought he was going to do really solid there. But unfortunately, uh, you know, rules are rules or whatever with the vaccination. So with that being said, I like Washington State here. Skybox is on the Cougs as well. Now we are getting into the good stuff. Michigan, Georgia, first playoff game. Excuse me, that's the second one. Of course, I'd go out of order on this. We, uh, we've got the first playoff game, Cincinnati-Alabama. It is Alabama minus 13-and-a-half. This game is played at uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. This is going to be all eyes are on this one. Uh, obviously, that's a cliche, but I just meant from a group of five perspective, fairly or unfairly, I think this will shape the opinion of how we view group of five schools in the playoff, even before or after expansion, uh, which I don't think is necessarily fair. I think Cincinnati is good. I think they deserve to be in this game. I'm going to go with the Cinderella story here. I think they play a competitive enough game, acquit themselves well. No one seems to be talking about the fact that Alabama didn't have a ton of receiver depth already this year. That's why they went and got Jamison Williams, who's been a difference maker. They don't have John Mechie. He's out for the season. And, like, that seems to be keep getting glossed over. Maybe it's just because they can be more physical than Cincinnati. But I think that's a big deal. So I'm going to go Cincinnati plus 13 and a half here. Yeah, I mean, you know, for such a high-profile game and everything like that, you know, it's hard to – I mean, I doubted Papa Nick last week against Georgia and, uh, you know, never doubt Papa Nick ever again, it seems like. But, uh, you know, I, I think Cincinnati has, you know, it has played really well this year and they've, uh, you know, looked well. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, man, I, I'm going to go Alabama. I just think Alabama is just too good all, um, across the board. I think that's probably a smart play. Skybox on Cincinnati at 13 and a half. So this line has not moved in weeks, or at least it kind of surfaced back to what it was. So I don't know if that's going to be a fact. Obviously, both of these are going to be awesome matchups. I, you know, we get a dud game every year in the playoffs. I'm going to be a, make a prediction. I think both these games are close. I don't think we get a dud semifinal game this year. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, I know Georgia kind of got exposed uh, last week in the SEC championship game. And, you know, Michigan's sneaky good now. I mean, you know, it's just – I know the hardball, you know, angle and everything like that. But, you know, when, when you get the monkey off your back, you know, it's uh, it, it's all – I like Michigan a lot in, this, in, the, in the Georgia game. There we go. That's at seven and a half. I'm actually going to go on the other side here. I agree with you. I think Michigan's good. I think they run the ball. I think they play good defense. I think it's a great story. They started the year unranked and they ended up in the playoff in a year where most people had written off Harbaugh in terms of his future at Michigan. But I just think Georgia's a better version of Michigan. I think Georgia runs it pretty well, manages the game, doesn't turn it over, turns it over on the turns the other teams over on defense at a pretty high clip. I think the reaction from the Alabama game is a little bit um I would say overblown. I still think Georgia's a very good football team. I think this is one of those deals where it's like a four-point game or seven-point game in the fourth quarter, and Georgia puts 10 on them to where it's like a 14-, 17-point game that really was not that – like the game was a lot closer. So I'm going to go Georgia to put this away as far as the covers concerned late. So that's me on Georgia minus seven and a half. You're on the Michigan side. Skybox took Michigan plus eight. So they are with you on that. Skybox went Michigan plus eight. So – Two fascinating semifinals games there. I'm uh, looking forward to popping down in New Orleans, watching both of those. We got another game sandwiched in the middle, Central Michigan plus seven and a half uh, against Boise State in the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. This is the game that uh, every single uh, blue check mark that uh, thinks of themselves too seriously wishes did not happen. Uh, there was a think piece in USA Today, as we covered last week, just uh, the idea that Barstool Sports is hosting a bowl game, really making some people dump their pants. So, uh, I think they'll be able to get over it. It is Michigan State, excuse me, <laughs> Central Michigan, plus seven and a half against Boise State. So is uh, Creed uh, doing the halftime uh, performance? I'm about to look this up as we speak because I promised you I'd look that up last week and then, of course, totally forgot. Let's see. I mean, surely they got to bring that the bald-headed guy that was flying around. I mean, they can work that out. Oh, my God, he's doing it. This is real. So Creed will be the halftime performance. That is going to be electric. That's going to be electric. Uh, with that being said, I'm a Chippewa kind of guy. I mean, you know, I just uh, – I don't know. I've never crossed paths with a Chippewa, but I think I'd like to cross paths with a Chippewa. He seems like he might be a pretty friendly guy. But uh, with that being said, I'm going to go Western Michigan here and take the points. All right. I'm going to go with Boise State. I have this made-up theory in my head. They always slay in bowl games. Don't really know why. Maybe it's because I watch so many games on the blue turf that don't have anything to do with uh, with Boise State. So I'll, uh, I'll fade you guys here. Skybox is on Central Michigan as well. But I'll, uh, I'll fade you guys and go with the Boise State Broncos. Then we got the New Year's Day games, the one you guys have been waiting for. I say you guys as the listeners out there. We'll start you off with a little Penn State-Arkansas action. This game is down to one. Penn State minus one in the Outback Bowl. I will go Arkansas. I'm all over Arkansas here. I think they're more excited to be here, and I think they're a better team, so I don't need the points. I'm going to go Arkansas. Yeah, I love Arkansas, too. I just think that, you know, just uh, not, not, not to take anything away from Penn State, but, you know, uh, I just like Arkansas here. This line's dropped all the way to one. Skybox went with Penn State minus three, so uh, – they might be saying it not so fast to our dumb brains there. I just think Arkansas is better, and I think they'll win that game outright. I don't really have much to add to that one. Nor uh, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. This is now Notre Dame minus two. I believe Oklahoma State was a favorite when this came out. Fiesta Bowl, PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, uh, 12 o'clock game starting right after this Outback Bowl. Notre Dame minus two. Love the Marcus Freeman story. I think the way that hire was handled was a lot better than the way Brian Kelly left. Notre Dame, although I don't really know how you leave a school the right way these days. 
Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is good. They have a very good front seven, and uh, I'm going to count on them out physically in Notre Dame. I'm going to go Oklahoma State plus the two here. Yeah, I mean, I like Oklahoma State a lot in this game, but with that being said, I'm going to stick with Oklahoma State, but I feel like the the hire, uh, the Notre Dame hire is going to be a slam dunk, and I think he's going to kill it, and I think Notre Dame is going to be, you know, in a better situation uh, with, actually, with actually getting rid of Brian Kelly. I think both things can be true. I'm with you on board on that one. Skybox is on Oklahoma State as well. I just don't like this version of Notre Dame when they played physical teams. It didn't work out very well. And uh, Oklahoma State's got some dudes on that front seven. That I hate that that game didn't turn out the way they uh, had hoped. Although, at this point, the way the rest of it shook out, all that ended up mattering, that Big 12 championship game, was that Oklahoma State would be playing Ole Miss. And you could have Mike Gundy complain about Ole Miss cheating and paying players or whatever hell he did last time. Anyway, uh, so we're all on Oklahoma State there. The uh, Citrus Bowl, two mirror image programs, Iowa of the SEC and Iowa of the Big Ten. You've got Iowa, Kentucky. It's Kentucky minus three. Probably not a whole lot of offense to be had in these games. I guess I'll go to the SEC here. I, I don't have a lean. This game could yeah. be a complete coin toss. I'll go Kentucky. Yeah, I think I think the under might be a good, solid save. 44, bet. which is low for a college game. I agree, though. I mean, I, I think – I mean, you're still looking at 17-14 or something like that. I mean, that's still safe, I think. So, um, I, I like the under, but I, I've just – you know, since I got horses in Kentucky, I might as well just do the angle with the horses in Kentucky. So, uh, hopefully the thoroughbreds are running uh, uh, this weekend. So, I'm going to roll with Kentucky. We've got the Orange Bowl, I think. Yeah, this is Utah, Ohio State. It is Ohio State – excuse me, Rose Bowl. Sorry, the granddaddy of them all, the one that screws up our playoff system because they refuse to be removed off New Year's Day. I find that stupid. It's made me like the Rose Bowl slightly less. Still a cool spectacle. But um, it is Ohio State minus six and a half against Utah. Weldon and I have been on the Kyle Whittingham train all year. We don't understand why he don't get he doesn't get looks at other schools. Built as about as consistent as a program pound for pound in the country as anyone, considering where Utah recruits to. But um, that said, I want to pick Utah really, really bad. But man, if Ohio State's halfway interested, they have way too much offensive talent. And I'm actually going to use my brain over my heart here and go Ohio State minus six and a half, even though I love Utah. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, uh, on on both these teams' best day, I mean, I think Ohio State wins by two touchdowns. But, you know, it's just uh, if, if, if the Rose Bowl is going to stick to their guns and want to play on the day that they've always played, they need to get Keith Jackson back and doing the Rose Bowl, you know, just one, oh, once like a year. That. Is he still you alive? Know, I, th- I, 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 we, well, I mentioned that whenever me and Neil did a podcast, and I don't think we looked it up, so – uh, I'm hoping he's still around because, uh, man, uh, he could he could call a football game. I promise you that. So, uh, with that being said, I, I mean, Utah's sneaky good in bowls. You know, I remember back uh, when uh, Alabama was 14-point favorites again in the Sugar Bowl, and they end up rolling Alabama out the, out the you know, stadium. So, I'm, I'm going to go the Utah angle here. IT is telling me in my ear that Keith Jackson died three years ago, January 12th, but dig him up. He's got one more game left in him. Gosh, reincarnated. Yeah, I agree. Uh, can we not make clones? How have we not done that? Didn't we clone a goat or a sheep or something? Let's clone Keith Jackson. Not that hard. Um, yeah, I think we cloned a tadpole. I think that's what it was. That may have been what it was. Maybe a little harder to do a human, but come on, nerds, get on it. Let's see. Skybox went Ohio State as well. We've got two games left, and the one that all of you are probably listening for, many of you are going to, Ole Miss, Baylor, Sugar Bowl, New Year's Night, 745 kickoff or 730 kickoff, I think. I don't know. I got to check my ticket. Anyway, um, it is Ole Miss 
minus one over Baylor. And we had a not so fast here from Skybox. I'll get to in a minute. Um, I'm going with Ole Miss. I think Matt Corral ends his career on a high note. I think this team is really close. I think it has great senior leadership. I think they really, really are excited to be there. Not that Baylor's not either. They won the Big 12. But I just think Ole Miss has all the elements. They're healthy. I think the Rebels actually roll in this game. I think it plays out similarly to last Sugar Bowl. Baylor's good. What they do running the ball can cause Ole Miss some issues. I'm not sure how healthy either quarterback will be for them, but I think Ole Miss creates an early turnover that kind of jumpstarts a route here. I'd like to see – I think – I say I like to see. I think Ole Miss wins this game by 17 or so points. I'm all over the Rebels. Yeah, I have to just straight up agree with you. And, you know, I kind of feel bad for the, the Baylor program here. And, you know, they have such a good year and – they have to play in front of 55,000 Ole Miss fans in the Sugar Bowl. So, um, with that being said, I just think that uh, there's something about Ole Miss and the Sugar Bowl. It just uh, matches up real well. And, uh, you know, so I, I just think, like you were saying, uh, an early turnover or something like that, or, you know, maybe a 28 to 10, uh, you know, halftime lead and, you know, just, you know, pump the brakes and just uh, cruise. So, I, I like Ole Miss a lot. Skybox on their original card they sent me had Baylor minus one and a half. I thought even just from like a metric standpoint, I was like, that's an odd one. Soon as I read the card, I get another message that says, typo, we are all over the Rebels. So how about that? <laughs> Skybox is on Ole Miss as well. We technically have one more bowl game. I'm not sure how excited you can get about this. If the nerds, if the downers out there want to complain about a goal, bowl game, I'll give them the Texas Bowl on January 4th, <laughs> LSU, Kansas State. I don't understand this one. But, hey, it's in college college football saver. Kansas State minus three and a half against LSU. I don't know who's playing quarterback for LSU. I don't know who's coaching LSU. I don't care. I think Kansas State rolls them. I don't think LSU wants to get off the bus. Kansas State minus three and a half. Yeah. I mean, you know, with that being said, it's just hard to, you know, you, you think that LSU is just, you know, could be – surely wouldn't lose to uh, Kansas State. But – I'm going to go on not so fast, and I'm just going to say LSU is just – it shows up in the fourth quarter, you know, and sleepwalks this thing and wins by a touchdown. How about that? Skybox did the exact same thing. They not so fast, and they are on the LSU Tigers as well. That's going to wrap it up for bowl season, dude. It uh, went by fast. We're in good shape. We've got so much more football to go. I keep saying it went by fast. We've got, uh, as, you, as you outlined there, or as we outlined there, about 18, 19 games left. Got to keep pace with Skybox. Uh, they're up. You're up on one game by them. So again, you're 11 and four. They're 10 and five, and I have nine and six. So I'm looking looking forward to seeing how this uh, finishes out. I'll probably update in the newsletter throughout the week. But uh, goes by quick, dude. We got a couple more NFL weeks, and then it's uh, playoffs, and that's uh, then that's it. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, hopefully y'all stay safe in New Orleans, and uh, you know uh, it sounds like an awesome time. I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to go to. Uh, the Sugar Bowl from 92 to 98. So I've gotten plenty of uh, Sugar Bowls in me. So uh, I'm going to skip out on this year and uh, enjoy it from the house with a probably big bottle of wine in front of me. So uh, good luck down there in New Orleans. Y'all stay safe and uh, should be a good time. Absolutely. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Hit it straight on the course today, my friend. Oh, I can't wait. You know, my, the, the, uh, the, the feel around the green is the first thing to go, but uh, I can at least get it to the green. How about that? There we go. Eight foot gimmies. All right. That is our show. I appreciate you guys tuning in, making us a part of uh, maybe your post Christmas drive home. Maybe you're back at work. If you are, hate to hear that, but uh, power through. We're going to have some pods for you throughout the week. I'm going to talk to Weldon at some point this week. And then I think I'm going to rerun that Travis Roeder interview, the Baylor guy that came on and gave a pretty terrific schematic breakdown of Baylor. 
that's not be me being lazy on the content front. I thought it was a fantastic interview and I kind of just snuck it out there on a late Friday afternoon. And uh, I think it's a good primer going into the bowl game. I might talk to someone else heading into the week for Baylor, but if not, I'm going to talk to Weldon and then rerun that one. That's a, uh, about as good as a schematic breakdown of a football team that uh, at least we've ever done. And by we, I mean me having a guest. So uh, be on the lookout for that, but we've got you covered throughout the week as you guys try to pass the time. Maybe you're listening to it on the way down to new Orleans. Um, I'm heading down there on Tuesday, I guess. I'm spending like a week down there. Made a, Decided to make a nice little vacation trip of it. So look forward to uh, seeing some folks down there. Always enjoyed interacting with people that listen to the pod, both uh, sober and inebriated. But uh, I really appreciate you guys. You've made this year a uh, whole hell of a lot of fun. And uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, making us a part of your day and week and routine. Uh, I'm looking forward to 2022 as well. We've got some uh, really good stuff lined up and, Honestly, if no one listened, there'd be no motivation to continue to make this better. So uh, you guys are kind of the tip of the spear on that. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great start to your week. Weldon and I will check in on y'all later on. So be looking for that. I'm thinking probably a Tuesday or Wednesday drop, and then that'll be it until we go post Sugar Bowl. Y'all have a great week.